One that's this week is Dinner Theater. So BCM Dinner Theater is Friday and Saturday um, at the BCM. That's a great mission for, um, well, it's a great fundraiser for their missions program. So uh, if you have any more questions, there's, there's slides and all that kind of stuff, or you can always come and see us. Um, announcements are also on our website. Um, prayer requests. There is a, uh, a girl by the name of Ralex Price, um, who is from Bremen, and I don't, most of you may have seen something. There's been a lot of people sharing stuff about her. She is in a, a bad spot um, physically, and um, I don't know all the details of that, but I do know that they've been asking for churches to pray uh, for her in particular. They pretty much say, you know, it's, it's going to have to be a divine thing um, in order to, to heal her. And so I just uh, want us to be aware of that um, this morning. Also, we want to continue to pray for the Art family um, as we have been, um, and uh, also, I mean, the situation in Europe and all that's happening over there, that is, um, that is something that's been on a lot, it's heavy on a lot of people's hearts, I know, so we want to continue to pray for um, that whole situation. Does anyone else have any other prayer requests they'd like to add? Camden from Heard County, he has uh, several surgeries that he's had for a shunt that he has, but he also has COVID right now, and so we know for, for those who are a little bit more susceptible to that kind of stuff, it could be very serious, so just continue to pray for um, Camden. Well, as we get ready to worship, I would like to lead us in um, the, our reading this morning of Psalm 32, um, and then we will pray together. It says, Of David... Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord." And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Amen. Lord, I just uh, thank you for this time that we get to spend together worshiping you, Lord, in this place. And I just uh, pray that you would move our hearts to a deeper understanding of who you are and a deeper um, understanding of our need for you and just that you would bring out an expression of worship in us this morning, Lord, that we would be fixated on who you are and what you've done and know, Lord, that you are working in us continuously, Lord. I pray for these prayer requests that we brought forward this morning, Lord, this young lady in Bremen and just I, I thank you for the prayers that are going up for her and uh, Lord, we pray that your will would be done in all things 
And uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to, to move us in a way to serve others and to love others the way that you have first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand with us this morning, we're going to sing Revelation song together to get started. Sing a new song to him who sits on. 
Stephen.
you pray with me this morning? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much um, for the rain outside, God, and that we're still able to come into a building with walls and with a roof, God, to keep us dry, God. But Lord, um, may you just fill our spirits this morning, God. Lord, may you enter um, and remain in this place and stir in our hearts, God, as we open your word this morning to study in Luke again, God. Lord, um, I just thank you that, God, a church is not limited to one pastor, but that you are you are the head of our church, God. So it doesn't matter who stands up here and preaches, God. Lord, we're listening for you and for you to speak to our hearts, God. Lord, we are thankful for Andrew Tony to be with us this morning, Lord. I just pray that you inspire his words and that you use him as a vessel to speak clearly to each one of us this morning, God. Lord, I thank you um, for Bryson and his leadership. And Lord, we pray for Neil, um, and we thank you for allowing him to have this time, God. Um, we just pray that for his safe travels coming home, Lord. And God, as our children workers go into children's church, Lord, I just pray for them as well, that they will have a special word for our children, God. And I pray that you'll bless their times and bless them for the love that they show our children, God. Lord, I just um, thank you, and I'm so grateful, God, for our church and just for your word, God. Lord, I'm thankful for the sacrifice of the cross and I'm thankful that we're able to um, participate in communion to remind ourselves of that gift and sacrifice that was paid, God, so that we may be renewed in our spirits to, to pay it for it every day and every opportunity we're given, God. Lord, I just pray that you open our hearts and clear our minds. May you have your way, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Children are dismissed with Miss Vaughn in the back for a children's church. And y'all are in for a treat because Andrew Tony is my go-to when I forget to plan FCA. He told me at the beginning of the year, he didn't know who he was talking to. Y'all will get this. He was like, if you ever forget or have a last minute, you just call me and I'll be there. And I was like, okay, if I have a last minute, I will call you. So I'm so excited to hear what all he can share with us in 20 minutes because that's double what he gets at Perfect. school. I'm just kidding. It'll be more than 20 minutes. But y'all welcome Andrew Tony this yeah, morning. Well, good. Well, thank you, guys. Hey, uh, if you've got your Bibles, let's, uh, let's open up to Luke chapter 15. Uh, while you guys are turning there, I'll just say this. Uh, you guys are certainly blessed uh, with Bryson and Neil. Uh, I'm thankful to be able to call them friends. Um, the school is blessed to have Miss Catherine. I mean, it's, you, guys are, you guys are blessed. And so I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, and in some ways, this morning, we don't only continue your journey through Luke, but also mine. We've been working in the student ministry through the book of Luke, and so uh, it feels like just jumping right back in. Uh, and so it's a beautiful story, the book of Luke. Uh, the book of Luke begins with what Luke's heart is, and it's to bring clarity to what the gospel is. He's writing to a man named Theophilus, and he says, Look, I'm writing so that you would have certainty in your faith. Often we have many questions about the, the, the doings and the work of God, who Jesus is and what he does, and so did Theophilus in some ways. And so Luke is writing to bring clarity. And so one of my hopes for my students at, at Rootville Road, but then hopefully for you guys as well, is to bring clarity to, to your faith, to, to clar bring clarity on who Jesus is and what, and what he does. And so tonight, this morning, we continue this conversation from last week. If you remember last week, we met the tax collectors, sinners, and the religious leaders. They're all gathered around Jesus as he was teaching. Both last week and this week are rooted in this accusation that they have of Jesus. And here's what it says. 15 verse 2. He receives sinners and eats with them. 
How dare he? Isn't that the whole crux of what the Pharisees believe? That they are holier than anybody else. How dare the Son of God, or whoever he is that he says, how dare he sit with these people? Surely he can't be that. And so this morning, we, we learn quite a few things very quickly about who we are. About who God is, but then also who we're not. And so this morning, I want, I want you to find who you are in this story. Everyone is somebody in today's story. One set of shoes is walking down a path of rebellion. And one set of shoes is, is walking in self-righteousness. Again, everybody wears shoes. You even wore them this morning. Everybody is somebody in the story. And so I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your heart this morning to, to reveal that to you so that we can leave this campus different. This morning I pray that we will be introspected, that we will look into our hearts. I pray that we will use what we hear and allow the Holy Spirit to not only identify who we are and what we are, but to refine us into what Christ wants for us. And so if you're taking notes, here's, here's the point for this morning, the main idea. And it's that God gracefully restores those who seek Him through repentance rather than self-righteousness. God gracefully restores those who seek Him through repentance rather than self-righteousness. Church, would you turn to Luke 15, 11 through 32 and read it with me. Hear the word of the Lord. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and, and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father quickly the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him. And put on a ring on his hand. And shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost, but now he's found. Verse 25, and now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. And he heard music and dancing and he called to one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry 
and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered, His father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But within this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Listen to the father's words. It's beautiful. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost. But church, he has been found. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, everything that you do for us, Father. We are so in need of your grace. We are in need of your Holy Spirit to do a work in our hearts. God, would you help us three see through this parable, this story that Jesus gives us, that we are more in need than we even realize of your grace. God, I pray if there's someone wayward in here that you would use the Holy Spirit to draw them to you. I pray that if there's somebody in here who is self-righteous, God, that we would see that it's only by you and faith through you alone, that our, our, our works are filthy rags, God. Lord, bring us to you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Again, God gracefully restores those who seek him through repentance rather than self-righteousness. Here's what we find. The first thing is this, that the end of sin is destruction. The end of sin is destruction. Remember what Jesus taught right before this. You guys studied it last week. I listened to Bryson's sermon the past few days. The lost sheep and the lost coin. Both are restored and and both result in the finder celebration of that which was lost. He calls everybody, hey, look, you've got to come back. You've got to to come see this. Listen to me. I've, I've found what I've been missing. Would you celebrate with me? And that's where verse 1, verse 11 begins. And, and he said, in light of everything that we know so far about what we know, here's what we see. And we're introduced to a man who had two sons. Two sons. I want you to remember that. Two sons. A man who has two sons. Right? Often we look at this passage and we remember the prodigal son, don't we? We remember the one wayward son, but we forget the, the second son. Listen to the younger son's words in verse 11 really carefully. Verse 12, And, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property. Give me the property that is coming to me. Are there so much here? The younger son is demanding that he be given that which he believes is rightfully his. While this is already cringeworthy, could you imagine going to your father and speaking this way? It may end very similar to how it would with me. Give me, father, for that is mine. But here's basically what the younger son is saying. He's demanding, he's desiring, but here's what he's essentially saying. Father, I want you dead so that I may have my share. Father, I want you dead that I might have my share. The son is speaking of his inheritance, and, and he wants now what he's supposed to have in the future in due time. Right? We all know how inheritances work. When somebody dies, the stuff, the money, the things are passed on to the next of kin or, or those who it's been allotted to. So you see, by the younger son saying this, he is saying, Father, I'm ready for you to die. I'm not worried about you, but I want my stuff. Give me my money. And now we all expect the father to have him thrown out of the house. To thrown out of the will. 
but we see something totally different. Look at verse 12. Listen to how he responds. And the father divided his property between them. You see, he gives the younger son what he wants. Did you catch that? The father knew exactly what his son was asking for, and and so his father gives it to him, possibly having the end in in mind. Typically, the father would would, would have given two-thirds to the older son, the firstborn, and one-third to the younger son. This is what the younger was demanding, his portion, his share. And the father does it. He he obliges and gives the younger son the money that would be his after he died. Church, this is shameful. Could you wrap your mind, fathers, around your son coming to you and saying, Dad, I wish you would just hurry up and die so I can have your money. Sons, could you imagine going to your father and uttering those words? Can you imagine the broken heart of the father? After all of these years, I've raised you, and this is what you want. However, it's not, it's not all that the story that we get, is it? The story isn't over, but rather it's just begun. He's, he's finally gotten what he's wanted. The younger son has the money. And listen to what he does with it. Look at verse 13. He didn't take a lot of time, did he? It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property, in reckless living. He takes his beloved money and he runs. Not only that, but he chooses the path of reckless living. Church, isn't it striking that when we get what we think we want, we often do with it what we shouldn't? Church, how many prayers have you prayed? God, give me this. Please, Lord, give me. God, help me here only to turn it around and use it for yourself. We aren't told exactly what he wasted all of his money on, but but here's what we know. He wasted it. The Bible says that his use of it was reckless. The older brother in verse 30 mentions that the younger brother spent it on prostitutes, pleasure-seeking things. Not only did he want his father dead, not only did he take his money and run, But now he's wasted it. Wasted it. He wasted all in reckless, hedonistic living, focused on his pleasure, and now he faces the consequences of his foolishness. You ready for this? He faces the consequences because church, sin has consequences, doesn't it? Sin always has consequences. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one, no one gave him anything. This is a picture that we find of the destination the actions of our hearts lived out leads to. What we're seeing here happen is this young boy followed his heart. This is a picture of where our hearts will lead us. The younger son had it all, had all he needed, had all he wanted, and he wasted it all, and now he finds himself working for one of the citizens of a country. One commentator that I was reading said this would have been embarrassing, 
a Jew working for a Gentile. But not just that, but, but feeding pigs for him. A Jewish pig feeder. He left everything for this. And here he is so hungry that he's wanting to eat pig slop. And yet he can't even get that. Church, I want you to remember something. The rock bottom comes quick. If you're taking notes, write that down. Rock bottom comes quick. So swiftly, the younger son went from having everything that he could possibly want to nothing. And we have seen this story over and over and over again. Rags to riches and back to rags. Athletes, actors, actresses, politicians, family members, friends, school teacher. You get it. They had it all. And then it's gone. But this is nothing new to us. James 1, 14 through 15 tells us if we follow our desires where it leads. Listen to what he says. It says that each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The world is enticing sin, lust. Our desires are are deceitful and they will lead us astray. That which you think that you want will lead you dangerous places. It's often been quoted, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. The world says, pursue your heart's desires, but the truth that we see is that destruction is sure to follow. What we see played out here is normative. It's it's normal. This isn't just a a one-off story. When we follow our hearts, church, this is what happens. And you know that. Because many of you have tried. Many of your children have tried. Many of your parents have tried. And this is what we find destruction this world doesn't bring fulfillment or pleasure but brokenness tears heartache here we see the depravity of man the depraved heart is on full display that there is nothing good in man forsaking all that is known and provided for that which seems enticing that which will bring just a little bit of pleasure right ever since the fall we have been rejecting God rejecting what is truly good And when we reject the grace and the goodness of God, here is where we find ourselves broken, shamed, without. But that is not the promise of the gospel, is it? But we're not there yet. Let me ask you a question. Friend, are you here? Are you at the end of yourself? Are you sitting at rock bottom with nowhere else to go? Maybe you have a husband who is far off. A wife who is gone. Maybe you have a a child who who is wayward. If so, you know firsthand what this looks like. You know what it looks like to chase your passions and fail. All of this leaves us with a question. Is there any hope for me? Is there any hope for my husband? 
Is there any hope for my brother? Is there any hope for my sister? Is there any hope for my friend? And the truth is, yes, there is. But first, we see that the end of sin is destruction. The end of sin is destruction. Secondly, we see this, that the heart of God is restoration. The heart of God is restoration. Would you look at verses 17 through 19 with me? It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have have more than enough bread, but I, I perish here with hunger. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired servants. The wayward son finally comes to his senses. Or better off, he comes to the end of himself. He realizes that what I'm trying to do is not working. What he's trying to do will lead to death, James tells us. Church, do you realize that this morning? The end of sin is destruction, but God's heart is restoration. Commentators say that as he came to his senses, the original language, this means repented. Right? He says that this doesn't only refer to a mental process, but also one that causes him to, to move and to do. Repentance is not repentance if it does not change our lives. You know this, don't you? You can say you're sorry until you're blue in the face. But until your life changes, it means nothing. Parents, you know this, don't you? But we as Christians know this. God, I will never do this again. God, I will never do this again. True repentance carries life change. So as you carry your pleas to the Lord, has your life been changing? If it hasn't, then you have to question your idea of repentance. But here we see the sun returned. It's interesting when we find ourselves at our lowest, there's nothing else. With, with nothing else, no other options, we become very aware of the former grace that God has given us. It was once said, you don't know what you got till it's gone. So the younger son devises a plan that he must return to his father and catch this and repay him. His plan is to go and work as a hired servant. Realize the son is not looking to be brought back into the household as a son. He's not looking to be restored. He's looking to work his debt off. He's looking to be hired as a servant. He is hoping to repay that which he has taken from his father. However, the rebellious son is completely miscalculated. Grace cannot be bought with money, church. Grace cannot be worked off. The father's response is beautiful and shows this very thing. Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Here we go. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, 
and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began, it's, the word says that they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. We would expect rejection, shunning, confrontation between the Son and the Father. You guys have seen the TV shows, haven't you? We know how this ends. The Father sees him from a distance, though, and, and felt compassion to run to him. It's often said that, that the Father saw him before he got there because he was looking for his son, expecting him to come home, wanting him to come home, praying for him to come home. And he's here. He has returned. The, the running of the Father would have been shameful in his context. The head of a household, the garments he were wearing would have been embarrassing for him to take off running. He would have exposed himself, but he doesn't care. And then something beautiful happens. The father embraces his son and kisses him. The son quickly begs of the father, forgive me, for, for let me work. Let me work my due off. Let me be as a worker to you. Let me work my debt off. But the father will have none of it. Rather, he lavishly, get this, he doesn't just give him. He doesn't just give him scraps at the table. He doesn't tell him, hey, just pull up a chair and you sit in the corner. What does he do? He lavishly provides for his returned son. He gives him the best for his son. Listen to what he gives. The father gives him the best robe. Right? This would have been expensive. It would have been beautiful. He didn't tell the son to go take a, a shower after rolling around with the pigs. No, he puts the robe on him. He gives him a ring, which would have been a family ring, a beautiful picture of the father receiving him back into the fold. He's still part of the family. It says that he gives him shoes to put on his feet. A luxury that slaves wouldn't have owned, servants wouldn't have owned, but for royalty. You see, he calls his servants to bring the fatting calf and kill it for what has happened is worth celebrating. Tim Keller, a, a pastor and theologian, highlights that the fattened calf would have been really expensive. It was the best of the best of the best. It's nothing better to be eaten. Meat was a delicacy then. It's too expensive for anybody to own. And this is the fattened calf. The best of the best. Only for the most of special of occasions. Here's what Keller says. that this father, for, for this father to do this, here's what, it was basic, here's what he was saying. That this is the greatest day of my life. This is the greatest day of my life. My son has returned. Have you noticed that he hasn't given a second thought to the words that his son said to him? It's all in the past. He's completely forgiven him and restored him in one beautiful motion. This very type of, of restoration and celebration was seen in the parable of the sheep and the coins from last week. You see, they left all that they had to find the one. You see, here this father is willing to give everything to have his son. It's beautiful. Just like when the finders found what they found, they rejoice. So this father, as his son is restored, celebrates. Look at verse 24. It says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It says that they began to celebrate. 
You see, the son returns in hopes of being able to repay his father from what he has taken. But, but church grace doesn't work that way. There is no repayment. True repentance is the only way. The son's heart was broken for what he had done. His eyes and his heart were open. So now we see how repentance works, doesn't it? In the pig troughs, in the pig pens, he had decided in his heart, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against my father and I have to do something about it. What I have is not working. So he comes and he confesses before his father, I have wronged you. He's gotten all of it right except he thinks that he can work it off. A beautiful picture and the truth is here that you and I, church, can never work to earn God's grace. You and I can never work to earn God's grace. There's an, you can do no amount of right things to earn God's favor upon your life or your eternity. There is no repayment in the economy of God. Rather, what we find here is the picture of what happens when a sinner repents. Celebration. Restoration. Please don't see this as just a story about a family far off. No, but it is about our own hearts. So let me ask you a question. Do you want to find restoration in your heart today? Repent. Do you want to find restoration in your family today? Repent. Do you want to find peace with God? Repent. The son who had wished his father dead squandered all he had and returned was broken over his sin and pleads for forgiveness. Friend, would you see that God's heart towards you is restoration? God's heart towards you is restoration. Is that not what we read in Psalm 32 earlier? Blessed is, is the one who the Lord counts no iniquity. The psalmist is saying, blessed are you who God has forgiven you of your sin. But there is only one way that that happens. You can't buy it with money, church. You can't be a really good person. It's through Jesus Christ, His work. Thomas Watson in the Doctrine of Repentance says either sin must drown in the tears of repentance or the soul must burn in hell. Either sin must drown in the tears of repentance or the soul must burn in hell. May we see our folly and run to the feet of Jesus. The heart of restoration is God. He shows grace to the sinner. He shows grace to the adulterer. He shows grace to the liar. He shows grace to the thief. He shows grace to the wanderer. And that grace only happens through Christ. That grace only happens through Jesus. As a sinner repents and believes in Jesus, his work, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, as we place our faith on the work of Christ, Here's the promise, church, that God will forgive you of your sins. And so already as we get into this story, there is this offer to repent of your sin and to truly be right with God. None of us would raise our hands and say, do you want to be in wrong standing with God when you die? Of course not, we don't. And so Jesus is teaching us what this looks like. We come to our senses, the end of ourselves. We realize that there's no other way. And we trust in Jesus. The heart of God, church, is restoration. And thirdly, here's what we see. 
The story isn't over. Remember verse 11, he had two sons, not just one son. We have just as much to learn of the elder son as we do the younger son. Look at verses 25 through 28 with me. It says, Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's been received back safe and sound. And at this point, you expect the older brother to rejoice, to be excited. I've missed my brother, finally. Finally, he's returned. I've been waiting for him. I've been praying for him. And listen to his words. Verse 28, but he was angry. It says that he refused to go in. His father, though, came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you realize he's not calling him his brother. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. I've done everything for you, dad. What have you done for me? Verse 31, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that I have is mine. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, catch this language, your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. The wayward son has returned and has been restored. What great excitement, what great news. Let us celebrate for the prodigal has returned except the, the other son, the older son, is, he's enraged. So enraged that he will refer to him as, as your son. So enraged that he will not even go in to celebrate the fact that his brother is alive. This older son rejects the repentance and the restoration of the son. But if we're honest, we've been there, haven't we? Often we have such a hatred in our heart for somebody. It doesn't matter what the Lord does in their life. We don't want anything to do with them. Often the posture of our hearts, catch this, is that, let them burn. That's not the heart of God that we see. Verses 28 through 32, it's beautiful. The father goes out to him. Have you noticed that twice? The younger son, what does the father do? He sees him and he runs towards him. Embraces him, kisses him. The older son he looks around, he notices he's not at the party. What does he do? He goes after him. What a beautiful picture last week that we saw of the shepherd who leaves everything to go after and restore. The father didn't have to do this, but he did it. The father goes out after the older son just as he had the younger son. You can see this play out in your mind. The son says, I have served you. His language is really important here. I have served you. I have worked. I've obeyed every one of your commands, Father. And you have never celebrated me. You have never fattened a calf for me. <laughs> How many times have you used that language? Dad, you never killed a calf for me. The older son is saying, you've done nothing to celebrate what I do for you. 
You can see where this is going, can't you? But now you're celebrating the son who wanted you dead? You're celebrating the one who wasted his inheritance on prostitutes. This is your proud son. The father's words, though, are so stilling. He says, son, you are always with me. All that I have is, all, all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. You see, the older son saw himself as righteous. The older son saw himself as, as perfect. He did nothing wrong in his own eyes. But he saw his brother as broken. He saw his brother as the, the problem child. He saw his younger brother as the runaway. He saw his younger brother as the sinner. And himself righteous. He's saying all of this, and you expect me to be proud for you, Dad. Here's the truth, church. The elder son may have seen himself as righteous and seeing the brother is unrighteous, but they are both unrighteous. Here's the truth. Pride will harden your heart. Pride will harden your heart. It'll create a framework in your own mind that you've got it, and they don't. Is this not the conversation with the Pharisees? You mean he eats with sinners? How dare he? The elder son saw himself as righteous without mistake. Perfect. Listen to Luke 18. You guys will be there in, in a few weeks. Jesus tells of two men who went to the temple to pray together. You guys know this. Two men, it says, went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. One the religious and one hated. And so the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Here's what Jesus says about these two men. I tell you that this man went down, this man went down to his house justified. And the other one did not. And here it seems to be the same story. One is in the party and one is out of the party. One is in the celebration and the other is not. Did you notice how the narrative just stops? It abruptly ends. We find no resolve for the elder son. It seems that the elder son never went in. We're, we're intended to use our imaginations. What happened? Did the, did the elder son finally repent and, and was restored by the father? Did he stay outside and leave, never to be speaking to his family again? We, we have no idea where this ends. And so what the Bible calls us to do is imagine ourselves in this place. As he's looking at the Pharisees on one side, as he sees the sinners and the tax collectors on the other side, he, he, he probably would have looked, it up, looked up at them and, and looked at them and said, Do you understand? Do you see the divide, Pharisees? Church, we have such a habit of seeing ourselves as righteous for what we do. But the truth is that it's not about us, but all about Christ. Here's what we see. 
Two sons, both in sin. One repents, and one has righteous contempt. One is in the celebration, and one is not. Tim Keller says the younger son wanted the stuff of the father without the father. But the older son wanted the stuff of the father without the father's love. What a picture of our own heart. We look down on others as we exalt our own works. Yet we don't realize that we are in sin just as the younger brother. Friend, being a good person will not save you. Doing right things will not be counted towards you. Romans chapter 3 tells us that none is righteous. The Bible tells us that even our hardest try is worthless. Here we, we see this story play out. And some of us will go home and we'll see this story played out. We'll go to school and we'll see this story played out. The family comes around for Thanksgiving and we see this story played out. You open Facebook and you see it played out. You turn on the television, it's everywhere. We all try to do as much as we can, the best that we can, hoping that God will approve us. And he's already said that it's not by what you do, but it's by who that I am. For the younger brother, no amount of money, pleasure, running will bring you peace. Rather, you will find misery, destruction, and ultimately death. Church, the only way that you and I can find redemption is through the work of Christ. Our sin has caused a great chasm between us and Him. Repentance and turning is required for salvation. Jesus teaches us that it's not about what we do, but it's about who He is. Here we see who He is and who we are not. Here we see what He's done and what we can't. So my question earlier, whose shoes are you wearing? The shoes of rebellion or the shoes of self-righteousness? You see, everyone is the sons. I'm one of them. You're one of them. But none of us are the father. God is the father who grants grace and forgiveness, restoration and a newness. God gracefully restores those who seek him through repentance rather than self-righteousness. So then the question is, okay, what do we do? All right, I get it, Andrew. I see the story. I see the two. Like, how do I live this out in my life? Here's the first thing. You need to repent. This morning, maybe you, you need to repent of your sin for the first time. Ask God to save you, and he will. That's the picture that we see of the Father, that if you come to him, that he will forgive you but maybe even more beautiful that he pursues you, that you will. Maybe you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is surfacing things in your own heart. Ask God to forgive you. The picture painted is that he will forgive you, Christian who continues to sin. So repent, but also rejoice. We must rejoice with those who repent of their sin, those who come into or return to the fold. A celebration is to be had. Let us celebrate the good work of our God. Are you celebrating others' stories? How they leave the brokenness of their lives for the goodness of God. And the last thing is this, is that we should restore. Repent, rejoice, and lastly, restore. Church, we should be vessels of restoration. 
we should be a picture in this church to the outside world of what restoration looks like. True repentance, true love, true forgiveness should be found in the walls of the church. It should be found in the hearts of the church. And we should take this restoring message of the gospel and and share it. We should be examples of it to this world. And so odds are somebody's going to do something to you tomorrow in which you have an opportunity to live this out. Would you forgive them? Would you restore them? Would you show them the grace of God? And really what a better picture than what we're fixing to do. We're fixing to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to take of the blood. We're going to take of His body. There's nobody that's embodied who has lived out what true forgiveness and restoration looks like. And there's nobody by which it can come except through Christ. So church, would you, would you pray with me as we go into communion? God, use your Holy Spirit to surface in our hearts tonight the places we need to repent of. Show us where we miss it. If, if someone in here doesn't know you as Savior, Redeemer, Restorer, would you draw them to yourself? Would you bring them closer to you? Would you forgive their sin? God, if there is somebody that we know that needs this news, would you help us to take it to them? God, would you help us to to leave this place and be a a people of restoration? Help us leave thankful for the restoration that you've given us. Help us to, to give all that we are to you, God. Help us to see that we are broken. Help us to see that we have nothing without you. God, restore us to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Father's love
Let's close with singing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You have a fantastic week.